This is Positive Parenting. Parenting expertise and advice from best-selling parenting author and national newspaper columnist, Mr. Dad, Armin Brott. Hello and welcome to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott. According to an extensive new survey by the Pew Research Center, the Christian share of the U.S. population is declining while the number of U.S. adults who do not identify with any organized religion is growing at an unprecedented rate. Recent decades have seen many American families desert their churches and synagogues and abandon old traditions. But are they skipping out on something more than just tired rituals and ancient folklore? Well, in this part of today's show, we're going to be talking with an award-winning journalist about exactly that. And she's going to talk to us about what is going on with this exodus from organized religion, what we're losing, and what that movement means for individuals and families as they search elsewhere for a sense of purpose and belonging. Religion gives people moral grounding as well as a sense of identity and tight communal bonds. There are also a lot of studies that are showing that those who belong to a church, a synagogue, or other religious congregation are more likely to donate to charity and more likely to say that they feel a deeper sense of meaning and purpose. So how do non-religious people fill the need for community, moral guidance, ritual, and meaning without the one-stop shop of religion? We'll start talking about the many ways that non-religious Americans create their own traditions and communities in an increasingly secular age when Positive Parenting continues right after this. More with Mr. Dad, Armin Brott, after this, from the MrDad.com radio network. Did you know 26 million Americans have kidney disease and most don't know it? The day I was diagnosed, I didn't know what to do. I called the National Kidney Foundation, and the young lady who answered stayed on the phone with me and walked me through step by step. She, too, was surviving kidney disease. and She showed me there could be life after kidney disease. Visit the National Kidney Foundation at kidney.org. Now you know. There once was a boy wizard whose name was Larry Smarter. Larry, why weren't you in Professor Dinky Doodle's mythical creature classification class? Well, I'm taking Algebra 2 in a foreign language. Oh, so you can talk to unicorns? <laughs> uh, exactly. Unless they're French. Larry wanted to go to college, so he visited knowhowtogo.org to find the classes he really needed. Getting into college doesn't happen magically. Learn more at knowhowtogo.org. Brought to you by the American Council on Education, Lumina Foundation for Education, and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brought. My guest for this part of today's show is Catherine Osmond, who's the author of Grace Without God, The Search for Meaning, Purpose, and Belonging in a Secular Age. Catherine, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Let's talk about the change here. We used to be a fairly religious country. I mean, it, people talk about it as being a Christian country, and that's something that comes up with any kind of discussion about religion or history or politics. But it's getting to be less and less so and less and less religious overall. And the non-religiously affiliated of whatever religion they're in, they tend, they're growing. So what, what's happening with that? Yeah, that's true. So for decades, for as long as people studied religious affiliation, there was always a, a box you could check if you did not identify with any religion. It was called basically none of the none, above. Right. And so these people who check that box, the shorthand for them is nuns, N-O-N-E-S. 
And nuns are people who are atheists, agnostic, spiritual, but not religious, people who just don't care. They don't go into a, a religious uh, institution. They don't affiliate with one. That number hovered at 7 or 8% for many decades and is now nearly 25%. And that has happened over the past 20, 30 years, uh, a gradual increase, and now something that seems like it's picking up and moving a little more quickly. You know, it's the kind of thing I remember seeing a lot on online dating profiles. You know, there's the spiritual but not religious category, which is it's kind of up there with the with the nun possibility. But there's a lot of people who affiliate that way. Yeah. Is that what what are they saying? Yeah. So it's interesting because I think nuns is sort of this umbrella term because people haven't known where to, you know, we're such a religious nation. Our history is so, you know, religion has been such a part of our country that we don't quite know what to make of non-religious. So they just kind of lump all the people who don't affiliate together in one group. And a huge part of that group is the spiritual but not religious. These are people who probably believe in God, uh, but they may define God in a different way than they were taught, say, in Sunday school. Uh, and they don't affiliate with the institution. That's the main difference. These are people who don't want to be a part of an institutional practice of organized religion, Mm -hmm. but they may describe themselves as religious. I'm kind of wondering if you can talk about this. You've looked at these studies in a lot more detail than I have about the people who are now saying that they are nuns, Mm -hmm. N-O-N-E-S, as opposed to having had a religion in a previous survey or the previous generations, how that breaks down by religion. And and I'm asking that because I'm Jewish, Mm -hmm. Uh, although I would have to say I'm kind of more culturally than religiously oriented. The observance part is is lagging Mm -hmm. for me. And it seems to be easier for Jews to do that than Catholics or other uh, people of other religion, that there's a a stronger cultural sense. Mm -hmm. So you can still say culturally, but not religiously. Right. Well, and in fact, that's my husband's story. So I was raised Presbyterian. My husband was raised Jewish, and he still calls himself Jewish, but he doesn't go to synagogue and he doesn't practice. And so in a way, um, you know, I think he would probably check none of the above if he were asked his religion, but if you asked his culture, he's going to check Jewish for sure. Um, and so th- that is different, and it is different for the different religious denominations. So um, there's a there's a different story within each each group, and I think that's definitely a Jewish story. I also think it's a Catholic story, to be honest. There's a lot of cultural Catholics who just can't bring themselves back into church anymore, especially after the the Catholic priest scandal and things like that. But they identify very strongly with their Catholic background and they feel a real sense of loss that they can't quite get themselves back into it. Also because of the the Catholic, um, you know, stance on things like birth control and divorce and things like that. But these are people who feel culturally connected to that religion, but they don't practice it. So what is it that that they're running away from? And what is it that they're running towards Mm -hmm. when they're giving up religion in that way? So I think it's part of a wide-scale distrust of institutions, political and religious. And a lot of people no longer buy into the fact that there's this authority figure who has the direct line to God who can who can guide them. And and so people have found that that they want to go off on their own and kind of create their DIY, do-it-yourself spirituality. So I think it's a rejection of that idea that authority lies outside the self. And it's just an increase in their sort of individualistic age. As we modernize, more and more people 
start to see sort of, you know, the wizard behind the curtain and think, well, you know, if that's what's going on, you know, and also if religion is becoming more and more about politics, um, that's really not what I'm there for. I'm going to go figure it out on my own terms. Do they believe in a higher power? They just don't want to call it a god? Well, a lot of nuns do. Yeah, a lot of those spiritual but not religious people definitely do. But there are also um, growing numbers of atheists and agnostics in that group that really just God is not a part of the framework of how they think about the world. And they seek meaning um, in their human connections and in nature and on Earth. Uh, do you th- speaking of human connections, do you think that, that that's getting to be a problem, the lack of connection? I mean, it, in, in con- conjunction with the rise in social media where people are spending less face time together, I mean, I think what people would probably agree that one of the main things that religion, organized religion, has to offer is a building where people can get together and hang out and, mm-hmm. and do you know, building projects or charity projects or just talk to each other. Right. Uh, and and it, how, how is that being replaced? Well, so that's really one of the biggest losses people tell me that they feel is they lost that community. Even people who are atheists, they say, I really miss singing in the choir. <laughs> you know, they really miss going into a place and being with other people. Um, but they just can't bring themselves to do it anymore. It doesn't align with their beliefs and values. So what I did in my book was I went around the country and found people who are starting new secular communities. And these are everything from secular humanist meetings on Sundays um, that have the flavor of a religious service without the God. They have singing and they have uh, a a talk and they maybe have some kind of uh, very simple ritual uh, and, and people really coming together, they might have lunch afterwards um, or a, a coffee and cookies kind of a thing. Uh, I found a number of different places around the country that are doing this. I think these groups are trying to meet this new need that many people have for community beyond religion. And are they finding it? I mean, is that, is that something that's growing? It's, it's just beginning, but I, it is growing. Um, and we see a lot of some of the um, most sort of the best examples are on college campuses. So you see a lot of students forming secular community groups. A lot of what they do is try to get um, students together to do community service activities. That's something that religion has always been so good at. Uh, and now these other secular humanist communities, Sunday assemblies, um, and things that have been around for a while, like ethical culture. And even for some people, the Unitarian Church, there are these options um, that are growing and increasingly embracing families. So they're bringing in people that are multi-generation, and they're trying to have programs for um, sort of every age that you might bring into a, a group like that. Hmm. And. I mean, how how are families responding to this? Because I, th- I still think that there there's in some way, and I'm sure this is in some way what people are rebelling against, mm-hmm. but it's also, I think, what people crave in a lot of ways is somebody to tell you how to run your life. Right. You know, we want to have the rules right. that this is okay and this is not okay. And it, it seems to be kind of a, a, a basic human need in a way. It's just boundaries. I mean, you talk about that as parents. Our kids need boundaries and, and, and everywhere. Right. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a struggle right now. I think one of the main struggles really for families is the time crunch. I think more and more people don't make time for this kind of 
work um, in terms of instilling values in your kids and really working with them to think about how they might help their community. Um, you know, in my experience, we're all driving around to different sports activities and extracurriculars, and the kids have all this homework, and and there's barely time to take a breath. And so some of the examples I found were really very individualistic. There's a mother in Minnesota who stops um, every Sunday. She gets her three kids and her husband together in their kitchen, and they take an hour or two to talk about their values. They do a meditation exercise. They go out and plant things in the garden. And they're really, she's trying to bring sort of a, because she lives in a very rural area, she's trying to bring some of what she admired in her uh, Unitarian Universalist experience into her home because she can't find a church like that nearby. So I do think there is this increase of DIY experience, but, you know, the risk is you just won't do anything if you don't have someone egging you on and Mm -hmm. you don't have a community to whom you're accountable. Talking with Catherine Osmond, who's the author of Grace Without God, The Search for Meaning, Purpose, and Belonging in a Secular Age. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll keep talking to Catherine when we get into how religion is responding to all this. I'm Armin Brunt. You're listening to Positive Parenting. Presenting Great Moments in FirstGov.gov History. For years, Americans have turned to FirstGov.gov for their government information. 2000. Mrs. Marilyn Gorman takes online government to new heights, applying for Social Security benefits before breakfast. And got them. Okay, who wants pancakes? 2002. In what later became known as the download heard round the world, the Duggans of Wichita print their own passport applications in their underwear. Honey, get dressed. Looks like we're going to Luxembourg. And 2004. FirstGov.gov astounds Anna Maria Montero of Biloxi by promptly answering all her emails, no matter how often she asks a question about the government. Sure, the U.S. government can get back to me every time, but that son of mine? Huh. Make your own great moment. Log on today. FirstGov.gov. It's government made easy. In 1977, in Johannesburg, South Africa, an eight-year-old boy picked up the game of golf from his father, By the age of nine, he was already outplaying him. The odds of that same boy then making it to the U.S. and European pro golf tours? One in seven million. The odds of the Big Easy winning the Open Championship once and the U.S. Open Championship twice? One in 780 million. The odds of this professional golfer having a child diagnosed with autism? One in... In 110, Ernie Els encourages you to learn the signs of autism at AutismSpeaks.org. Early diagnosis can make a lifetime of difference. Autism Speaks. It's time to listen. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. Now, get ready for more positive parenting with Armin Brott from the MrDad.com radio network. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Broad. If you're just joining us, talking with Catherine Osmond, who's the author of Grace Without God, The Search for Meaning, Purpose, and Belonging in a Secular Age. 
So just before the the break, I just mentioned want to find out how religion is is fighting back. I mean, I know the Catholic Church has been in a, a real quandary here about what to do because they're just not getting the the flow of priests coming in, and they're thinking about, well, are we going to allow them to get married? What's going on? How are how are religions reaching out to try to bring people back? Yeah, so I think this is a real tension in religions, and the religions that we have today are finely evolved organisms, right? They really are sort of the ones that's they're the survival of the fittest. They have come through the millennia and are very, very good at what they do. But in our increasingly scientific and modern age, it's very challenging to bring people in if they don't necessarily believe the sacred text explaining how the world came to be and, and talking about God and people increasingly questioning that. Um, So I, you know, I think Pope Francis, it was a breath of fresh air for the Catholic Church. And I think people of all religions and no religion at all respect him for his his desire to help people and get back to the, the true message of Christianity and try to get out of some of the politics of it. Um, but it hasn't translated into more people going back into the Catholic Church. No, there has not been a sort of a, a pope bump scene from <laughs> that um, experience. So I think it's a real challenge. And what I found most interesting was in more some of the more liberal-minded religious communities opening their doors to people who are not religious and really wanting to talk across the aisle about what what are what are you guys missing? What are we not providing? And and it's not to say that the nuns are going to suddenly go back into the church, but just to start these discussions and perhaps figure out a way to share that space. Um, I found a, a synagogue in Oregon that is home to a regular storytelling community event, which is completely secular, and it draws a huge crowd uh, four times a year. And these people come in and tell their stories, and the hope is that it engenders compassion within the community. When you see this neighbor later in the week, you'll you'll have a better understanding of who they are and, and, and where they come from. And the rabbi told me that a lot of his congregants go to these storytelling nights that he, he allows, you know, to happen at the synagogue. And and a lot of the storytelling people are starting to say, hey, I, I kind of miss going to services. Maybe I should start going to synagogue again. And so there's this almost um, this these places where people realize they're after the same thing. I feel like are there's a lot of possibility there. Now. How are kids dealing with this? Because you talked about 25% roughly are are the nuns. And it probably is a little bit more than that. People feel pressure to answer one way or the other, so they really are in the nun category, but they're putting something down because their parents, who knows, looking down from heaven would say, you know, that there, there's there's pressure on people to, to do things that way. So let's call it, call it a third. But you still have two-thirds that are religious in some way. And... I remember growing up hearing from neighbors down the street that I was going straight to hell for whatever, you know. And there there are things, and that was just for being a different religion. And I know there's, there, there's some overt hostility from some religions, not towards other religions, but towards atheism or agnosticism. 
This is definitely true. And I found um, uh, some of the what's great about these secular humanist communities and non-religious parenting groups that I spoke with is it provides a safe space for their kids. Because a lot of people told me, especially in very conservative regions, that their children were told they were going to hell um, because they didn't believe in God. And so that's some of the reason that these groups are so necessary and so important for people. You know, and I think it's a it's a matter of figuring out a way to teach religious literacy as as a cultural study and to teach our kids um, what religion is, what it means to people, and also what atheism is and what it means to people who don't necessarily believe. Uh, We had an experience a couple years ago where our youngest daughter and I were at the garden store. I was buying a Christmas wreath for our front door. And she saw an angel statue with her hands in prayer kneeling. And she said, look, Mama, this girl is doing yoga. (laughs) And uh, I said, no, no, honey, that's not not a girl doing yoga. That's an angel. And she said, what's an angel? And I realized my kids knew nothing, nothing about religion, not even an angel. And so it's been a real, I think it's important, even for us non-religious parents, to teach our kids what religion is and what it means to people. And I hope religious parents could also be open-minded enough to teach their kids that, you know, not everyone believes what we believe, and that's okay. Well, this whole you're going to hell thing, I think that a response could be, well, that's exactly why I'm not in here anymore, is right. because of this this lack of of ability to acknowledge that other people have different views. And and so many so many religions talk about tolerance right. but don't necessarily practice it when it comes down to it. Yeah, and that's such a big deal. And a lot of people say the judgment was what turned them off. They just couldn't this sort of, you know, tribalism and this feeling that if you're not with us, you're against us. Um is what's turning people away from religion. And so what I was, you know, what I'm hopeful about is these places where that's not the case and there's sort of more progressive religious people who are really curious and not judging the nuns, but saying, okay, we get it. Um, let's talk. Let's let's um, not fight each other because this is a reality now. Where do you think we go from here? Does it get better? Does it kind of plateau here at about 25%? You know, I, um, I'm, not, I'm not sure about that. I mean, part of it is that the non-religious do not procreate as the, at the same rate as the religious. So it's hard to say how much growth you can have if, if you're not, um, you know, having tons and tons of kids and not relate, raising them with religion. It is true that the millennials are 35% non-religious. And that's a huge amount. And once it does start to taper off like this, um, it's it's harder to gain traction. Like these are kids who are not going to pass religion on because they don't have anything to pass on. And so some recent research shows that we are in fact secularizing in the way some European countries have. And it's just, um, we're following the same pattern. We maybe are just doing it on a different time scale. Do you think that that hurts the culture? overall to have less of a of an identity no because i don't think it's less of an identity i think it's a different identity i think i'm raising my kids to have a very open-minded secular identity and they have kids of all faiths they have mormon friends they have um, muslim friends they have catholic friends in their classes and they know that we're raising them without religion, and, and that's their identity. And their identity is about, you know, strong secular humanist values. And I think um, 
if, if more and more people can embrace that, I think parents need to articulate those values to their kids and can, instead of thinking, well, religion owns that domain, um, then I think that there is a sense of strong identity that you can raise your kids with. And how's it going to go with your kids as they, they move out into the world and your daughter's not going to be quite not quite so naive. She's discovering things and learning things and she's you know, you can't turn on the TV without hearing about religions and, right. you know, what's going on with them. Well, so we have three kids and our other daughter, who's now 10, said to me the other day, well, I'm part Jewish, part Christian and part gymnastics. So I think her <laughs> answer is that she's a little bit of what she came from and a little bit of what she's creating for herself. And I think that's perfect. I think it is. That's a good thing. And are you doing more research on this? Are you th through with this particular topic, or are you going to go back and revisit it at some point? Well, uh, right now I'm doing a lot of events, including some in the area, but um, I will probably keep studying this. It's endlessly fascinating. And as I go around and talk about this book, people share with me more stories, um, not only of their religious loss, but of what they've done instead. And it's, it's pretty incredible. There is this sort of phenomenon going on across the country in all areas of the country and everyone has a story about this to share it's been amazing you know we only have just a couple seconds but you mentioned the values of secular humanism can you sum those up in 30 seconds oh sure um so uh using science and reason um as a way to explain the world uh caring about others and realizing that it's what we've got here on earth and not in um an afterlife uh that really matters and so you got to sort of grab the bull by the horns here and now. Catherine Osmond is the author of Grace Without God, The Search for Meaning, Purpose, and Belonging in a Secular Age. Catherine, thanks for coming in. Thank you so much. People have all kinds of excuses for not saving energy. I didn't plug it in. I'll turn it off later. It's not my music. It's just one phone charger. So um, we don't have those Energy Star appliances. So that old window leaks. How much energy and money could the new ones really save? Maybe it's time to stop making excuses and start doing some simple things to save the energy and resources we can. Because a little here and a little there can add up to a lot later. And you just never know what people will need in the future. My name is Sarah, and I'm going to get started today. We can all help save more energy for tomorrow. What's your excuse? For more energy-saving tips that also save money, visit loseyourexcuse.gov parents. This message is brought to you by the U.S. Department of Energy, the Ad Council, and the station. Hey there, welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott. It's time for a Parents at Play segment. You know, there's something almost primal about building robots. I mean, maybe it's the chance to create something that moves and doesn't need its diaper changed. Or maybe it's the challenge of building something that will make your life easier. Whatever the reason, building and playing with robots is a wonderful way to spend time with your kids and to build strong relationships. Here are some of our favorites. Circuit Scribe Maker Kit from Electronics. Circuit boards are at the heart of just about everything in our life, but they're incredibly tiny, which means it's nearly impossible to see all the connections and how they're made. CircuitScribe changes all that by allowing you to physically draw your own circuits. The Maker Kit comes with 11 magnetic circuit board modules, a battery, and a handful of small components. 
But what makes this kit especially unique is the special ballpoint type pen that draws with highly conductive and non-toxic silver ink, which allows you to draw circuits on just about anything. You can build simple switches that turn a light on or off, as well as more complex ones that involve touch sensors, timers, and more. But whatever you're building, you'll have a blast. They are for ages 8 and up, cost under 80 bucks, and you can get it at electroninks.com. Dash from Make Wonder. Dash brings the wonderful world of robotics to the kindergarten set. Dash is different than many other robots in that you aren't actually building him. He's ready to roll and talk right out of the box after you charge him, of course. What makes this guy so appealing to kids and adults is that you use an iOS or Android device to control him. The simplest app allows you to move Dash's head, turn lights on and off, move him around the room, and a bit more. The apps get increasingly more complex, even allowing for drag-and-drop programming. Using the app, you string together commands like go forward, turn left, flash your eyes, turn right, dance when I clap, and so on, to create surprisingly sophisticated routines that are beyond the capabilities of little ones, but which will keep big kids as old as 12 fully engaged. For ages 5 to 12, under 150 bucks at makewonder.com. Vex Robotic Arm from Hexbug. The first thing to know about this robotic arm from Hexbug, which is the makers of those adorable frenetic mechanical insects, is that it's not a true robot in the it-moves-all-by-itself sense. Second, with more than 350 pieces, building it is going to take some time. But none of that detracts in any way from the product. If you want to automate your arm, you can buy a motor kit separately, and you and your children will have an absolutely amazing time working together to build your arm. Once it's done, you'll have an even more amazing time using it, mechanically or motorized, to pick stuff up and move it around. It comes with easy-to-follow instructions for the arm, a scorpion, and a helicopter. It's for ages 8 and up, costs under 50 bucks. Hexbugvex.com you can get more reviews of wonderful toys and games and activities to do with your kids at parentsatplay.com. We'll be back next week with another Parents at Play segment or an Ask Mr. Dad segment, depending on which week it is. Until then, I'm Armin Broad. Thanks for listening to Positive Parenting. You can get more information on today's show and what we're working on in the weeks ahead at MrDad.com. While you're there, visit the MrDad.com gift shop with everything you need to help you become the dad or mom you want to be. Positive Parenting is a production of the MrDad.com radio network. Now, go be a great parent.